0: Welcome uh, to Cross Point. My name is Pastor Joshua. And uh, happy Father's Day to the gentlemen in uh, the audience who have children. And it's good to have all you guys here. And um, today, as the screen is lifting, I'm going to be in Romans chapter 5 this morning. And um, our topic this morning is going to be the love of God. So while you're turning there and why we consider such an ambitious topic. Let me pray. God, thank you so much uh, for being our Father in heaven and that you give us every right through your Son to cry out, Abba, Father, and to receive freely your love, um, which your Son earned for us. And I just pray that you'll work in this service, in this congregation, um, both in me and through me, uh, that your word would, would go forth accurately and powerfully and that you would change our lives. For some of us, God, we stand here and we need to be confronted by your love. And for others of us, we need to be encouraged by your love. So meet us where we're at and, um, and help us to, to be transformed in your word. In Jesus' name, amen. What is the love of God? That's the question. What is the love of God? And for the next couple of weeks, next two weeks, we'll just be meditating and thinking about the love of God. 1 John chapter 4, verses 8 and 16 say, God is love, that the very point of God is love, and the point of love is God. God is love. But what is it? Um, can we know what the love of God really is? I mean, I understand that if I asked you, are, do you feel like you're loved by God? Most of you'd say, yeah, I'm loved by God. But if I were to ask you, what is the nature of love? What's the stuff of love? What's the dimensions of the love of God? Uh, what's the answer to that? And that's a very difficult question. In fact, it's one of the most profound questions in the world. In the universe, what is the love of God? Paul says, and he prays for the Ephesians in Ephesians chapter 3, in verses 18 and following, he prays to the Father in heaven that they may have as a church and as believers, that they may have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. He (laughs) He's literally praying that they would know something that is beyond human knowledge. Do you hear what he said there? I pray that you'll be able to know the love of God that surpasses human understanding and knowledge. One of the most profound theologians in the 20th century was a dude by the name of Karl Barth. And Karl Barth was a Swiss theologian. He was very, very, very Yoda smart. Anyways, with better grammar. But, uh, and uh, he came over to America a few years before his death to give some lectures, very profound lectures, the kind of lectures that would put us to sleep. Um, and uh, an American student asked him after one of his lectures, Dr. Barth, what is the, what is the most profound idea that has passed through your mind? And he sat there for a minute in his scholarly way, you know, very upright. had his little Swiss theologian suit on. And he thought for a minute, and then he looked back at the student and the students, and he said, the most profound idea that has ever passed through my mind is, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Love is profound. Can we know it? And we want to capture the love of God. And so to, to ask ourselves and to try to begin to answer, although we can't answer it perfectly. His it's love is infinite. We'll never get to the bottom of it. But to begin to answer the question, what is the love of God? We go to Romans chapter 5. And let me read verses 1 through 5 to try to a- answer this question. It says here in Romans 5 verse 1, Therefore... Since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Him, we have also obtained access by faith into His grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. More than that, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character. And character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Now one observation that I want to make off this text is that we know based upon this passage That bad circumstances and suffering in our life is not proof that God does not love us. Amen? That the love of God, whatever it is, it transcends circumstances. In fact, we are able, because of hope and faith and love, we are able to even rejoice in our sufferings, probably because of the love of God. In fact, I would say that suffering and adversity in life is not proof that God does not love us, but it's proof that we need the love of God. I think it was Victor Hugo who said, faith is a necessity to man, and woe is the man who does not have faith. And the way we interpret that in Oklahoma as we interpret that is, this world is jacked up, not good, And I'd rather have the love of God in this world than to go through this world without the love. In fact, how can we make it through this world without the love of God? True? My dad said we were born wicked, naked. I said wicked. (laughs) My dad said we were born wet, naked, and hungry, and then it got worse. Right? Right? We need the love of God not because life is so bad, uh, but because or because the life is so bad. And I love this passage because it means that if you're going through difficult circumstances, if things aren't falling your way, that's not proof that God doesn't love you. God's love is not about your circumstances or what you have or don't have, whether you got all the wealth in the world or whether you got nothing at all. God's love transcends that. So when we come to know the love of God, we see how important it is that we do know at least something of the nature of God's love. And I want to focus on verse 5 to answer the question, what is the love of God? Look at verse 5. He says, hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Now, number one, what is the love of God? God's love is agape, love, A-G-A-P-E. That's the Greek word that's used for God's love in almost every instance in the New Testament. And even in the Greek translation of the Hebrew Old Testament, the writers chose this Greek word, God's agape, or God's love. Now, it's important for me to point out the word agape because it's in contrast to three other Greek words that were used for love in New Testament times. Let me give those Greek words to you now. There's uh, what's called storge love, all right? That's the Greek word storge, and that stands for Uh, affection love, almost like family love or fondness. If I'm fond of you, if I have affection for you, almost like a family member, I almost consider you like a brother or a sister, then I have storge love. The second word, Greek word, that's used for love in New Testament times is phileo love, where we get the words Philadelphia or philanthropy from, and that's brotherly love. It's almost like a friendship love. If you and I are friends, we got phileo going. You know what I mean? For hanging out, we go bowling together, phileo. If we go see a movie together, you know, phileo. If you like Oklahoma City Thunder, phileo. Third Greek word that's used for love in New Testament times, Greek world, is eros. Remember where we get the word erotic from? This is sensual love or physical love. Sexual love is eros love, erotic love. But none of these words satisfied the Holy Spirit working through the writers of the, of the Bible. None of these words satisfied an understanding of what God's love was. So they chose this fourth Greek word, agape love, because this particular Greek word was rarely used in Greek literature. It was hardly ever used. And so it's very difficult, it's very broad in its meaning. And what, what the Bible does is it takes agape love and it says we're going to use this because it's broad and we can pack into it our own ideas of what God's love is because God's love is unsurpassed and incomparable to any other kind of love. And agape love has come to be known because of the way the Bible uses the word as sacrificial love or perfect love or unconditional love, commitment love. I would even say it's a, write this down, gift love. Almost every love you and I practice or experience is what I call need love. I love you in a certain way so that I can get something back, right? I mean, even in healthy relationships, this is necessary. I got to speak the love language of Sherry so that I can get her to do what I want her to do, amen? Amen. She has to love me in a certain way as a man. She's got to say, you the man, so she can get me to take out the trash. Amen? That's need love. Need love is I got needs. I am on one level or another codependent upon you needing me. I'm codependent. So I'm going to love you in a certain way because I need you to need me and to like me and that kind of thing. That's need love. But see, agape love is completely different. God's love is completely different. It's gift love. Agape love is totally gift. In other words, God says, I want to give out of my nature, out of who, my, who I am, with no expect, expectations of anything in return. I just want to give. That's agape love. I just want to meet needs. Agape love. I want to give you something without needing anything in return. Did you know that God does not need you God doesn't love you because oh God, he, he's not sitting up in heaven. Oh, my gosh, I've got to love them, and I hope they like me because of it. I mean, God doesn't, he's not like that. And I don't, you know, I mean, sometimes preachers go into areas that are too deep even for themselves. But God is eternal. God has no beginning, no, no beginning to God And in eternity past, he has existed as Father, Son, Holy Spirit, three distinct persons, perfectly united in love. So he's he's always had fulfillment. He's always had love. So his love for us is not codependent. It's just freely given to us. The, The closest illustration I can think of to capture in your imaginations what agape love is, and the closest we get ourselves to actually practicing it, although we don't practice it perfectly, is with our kids. It's with our children. I mean, I, I just want to give to my babies, right? I just want to give to them. And I, I, I know they're not going to pay my, my bills. So I don't love them because, oh, I'm going to love them, and now they're going to help pay the bills. Maybe they'll go mow some lawns. You know, maybe we'll get little Audrey, go mow some lawns. Like, I just, I just love her. There's a, there's a part of me that has agape love for little Audrey. <laughs> she said to me, you know, there's just little things she does that I just love about her. And I just want just to give her the world. But she said to me the other day, she goes, Daddy, Daddy, come here. I got, I got something to tell you. And she whispered in my ear, she said, We got you donuts. We're going to give them to you in the morning. She goes, but don't tell anybody. It's a surprise. <laughs> you know what I mean? When her sisters found out she said that to me, they were so mad at little Audrey. Oh, my gosh. That's the closest we can get. But imagine your love for your children, which it demands nothing. You don't expect them to pay the bills. You don't expect them to give you a better month. You don't expect them to bring any kind of, any kind of practical blessing to you. You're just out of just your nature. You love them. Imagine that perfected and at an infinite degree, and now you're getting close to the agape love of God for you and I. It's gift love agape love. But it's not just agape love. It's not like, it's not like agape love is just this kind of static, kind of, you know, um, uh, half-measured mechanical thing, like, yeah, I just, I'm just going to give to you, and there's just a certain amount. It's almost like, not only is love agape love, it's overflowing, pouring out. Um, I'm flooded by God's agape love. It pours out. So secondly, we would say God's love is a poured out agape love. You see it there in verse 5. He, he says God's love, here's the phrase, God's love has been, there's the verb, it has been poured Into our hearts. One Greek word that describes a pouring out. Or one English translation of the Greek here in verse 5. It says God's love has flooded our hearts. Flooded our hearts. The verb was used in Acts chapter 2 to describe the pouring out of the Holy Spirit. Day of Pentecost. It's this overwhelming. This verb was used to describe rushing flooding waters um, in the world. God's love is not half measured or tame or or controlled. It's almost out of control, raging for us, raging in our hearts. It's ragingly available. And when you look at the Verb tense of that poured out. It's the perfect tense verb, which means it's a past action. Something happened in the past, but it has ongoing results. I saw Sherry one day and I fell in love. So it happened in the past, but it has ongoing results. As soon as I saw her, I was never the same. That's a perfect tense good picture would be kind of like a dry valley and there's no water in it it hasn't seen rain for years a dry valley and then one day it's flooded it's water's poured out into that valley and from that moment on from the day of the flood to now a river has been rushing in that dry valley you see that's the love of God Starts in your heart, in a moment in your history, a time in your life when you become awakened, regenerated, spiritually reborn. The Holy Spirit comes into your heart. You are affected by the person of God. And a new river begins to fill the dryness, the weariness, the, the, the emptiness of your heart. And what was once a valley in your soul is now being filled with the love of God. That's the love of God. What is the love of God. It's a pouring out agape. This has several implications. Number one, the love of God, once it starts being poured out in your heart, it is always available to you. It's never, ever damned up by anything or anyone. You can't damn up the love of God in your heart. Circumstances can't damn up the love of God in your heart. Romans 8 says nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ, not death, not demons, not powers, not principalities, not suffering, not nakedness. If you got no more clothes left and you're out on a wintry night, naked as the day you were born. Still, the love of God would be flowing out in your heart and available to you in that moment. The question is, are you available to the love of God? It's always there for you. As a refreshing source of fulfillment, as as a source of contentment, as a source of 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 steadiness as a source of life as a source of nourishment. God's love is always available. Question is, are you available to it? You know, in, in Oklahoma, I can tell you at this time of year, nobody goes outside. Did you know that? Because it is so stinking hot. I mean, and I know it's humid today here, but you it's nothing compared to the heat. In Oklahoma City. And you know what people start doing in about April is they stay inside where there's central air conditioning. Amen. That's what we Oklahomans do. I've been doing that since the day I was born. April, we're inside. We don't, we don't go outside and hang out and ride bikes and any of that stuff. We stay inside. When we watch movies, we watch movies inside. And so I've had to make an adjustment because I moved here and everybody goes outside. They ride their bikes, and they walk, and they run. And Sherry keeps telling me, you got to come outside, Josh. It's really nice. Like, you're not going to die. You're not going to get hydrated. You know what I mean? Like, like you, you're, you're, you're going to be fine if you come outside. And I'm scared to go outside. But see, we get together with people. Like, the Easley's over here. We went over to their house. We watched a movie outside with them. We ate outside because people here are outside. And when something, when wonderful weather is available to you, you gotta go outside and play tennis in it and ride bikes and grill out and sit out in lawn chairs, and you got to go outside and enjoy it. That good weather is available to you, but are you available to it? And that's how the love of God is. Sometimes we stay inside because we're so used to staying inside. We're so used to not being loved. We're so used to not having this overwhelming sense of God's presence. We're used to that. We're used to being inside. That's the way we were raised. That's the way it worked out. But now we're, we're hearing a new country has come to us where... God's love is available to us, and we got to go outside. We got to become available to it. We got to. Read our Bibles differently. We don't just read it for intellectual knowledge. We read it to get a sense to put our hand in the current of God's love. we got to pray, not just because we're trying to get something, but because we're trying to walk in the current of God's love. we we got to get together in community and in our life groups and with our church because we want to sit under the waterfall of the flood of God's love. we got to make ourselves available. we got to come outside. See, if I were on TV right now in our Pentecostal, we'd be going right now you got to step outside. Okay. (laughs) Agape. Flowing agape love. This also means the other implication with the flowing and the pouring out is that God is not pursuing you halfway. God is in white, hot, passionate, zealous pursuit of you. How many of us, we grew up in a church and it seemed like our Christianity taught us that God was this stoic, that maybe God was a lot like Spock, just kind of walking through life without emotions, having purged his emotions fully, kind of floating, kind of without emotion. There's Jesus. He's like Spock. He just kind of floats through life as a stoic philosopher, unaffected. verses like this remind us that God is very passionate God has desires and when God pursues you He pursues you as you are, where you're at and with an intensity that we never imagined And imagine what our life would look like if we would walk more in that pouring out agape. Imagine how we might love each other more. Imagine how we might be more fulfilled, more content, so we'd be better servants to each other because we have this God who's pursuing us with passion. Maybe we would pursue his life for us and people in our life with passion. Maybe we would pursue people with passion, prayer with passion. You see, God is a passionate God, he's not a stoic. Where did Stoicism come into Christianity? What part of our history did that come into? It's not biblical. Don't be emotional. It's dangerous to be emotional. No. It's dangerous to be emotional about the wrong things, amen? (laughs) It's dangerous to get fired up about sin. That's a problem. But God... His love is a pouring out love. Even here, on accident, my Bible just fell to Romans 8 where it says that God, you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. We don't just say God is Abba, Father. We cry out in rejoicing, God is Abba, Father, because he pursued us with passion, and he creates in us passion for his name. That's the implication of this agape being a pouring out love. Hmm. Of course, we're all passionate in different ways. I'm not saying that passion looks like in your life like it does in my life where you get up in front of people and make a fool out of yourself. Amen? <laughs> Passion works through personality, passion, but it's your—you know—passion ultimately, biblical passion, biblical love. It's you're affected by God. Are you available to be affected by this pouring out agape? Finally, what is the love of God? It's agape. It's pouring out agape. Finally, God's love is spiritual. It's a spiritual pouring out agape love. That's the love of God. It says here in verse 5, God's love has been poured out into your hearts, into our hearts, through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. It's spiritual. All of your your practical problems are come back to a spiritual problem. And what you need ultimately is not practical solutions ultimately, not primarily. Primarily what we need is spiritual answers, and we need a spiritual connection with our hearts by the Holy Spirit. God is spirit. God is love, and he loves us spiritually. So we can't measure it by tangible, physical things. We can only measure God's love in a spiritual sense. This means Number one, that information cannot lead to transformation, but spiritual connection with the Spirit of God and God's love leads to transformation. And we have to be available to that, to that spiritual Holy Spirit pouring it out in our, in our hearts. And I will say this, that it depends on where you're at on how this needs to work out practically in your life, this whole spiritual thing. Because some of you this morning, you need encouragement. So the, so the Holy Spirit spiritually wants to encourage you with the love of God and let you know that nothing can separate you from the love of God, that Jesus has earned the right for you to be connected to God. So your connection with God is not dependent upon your religious works. Uh, your, your connection to God is dependent upon Jesus Christ and his death for you on the cross in your place Paying the penalty for your sin. And you need to be encouraged by that and, and not be uh, so insecure. You need to be more secure by the love of God. But others of you, you're prideful and you're self righteous or you're walking in sin right now and you need the love of God and the Holy Spirit to apply the love of God to pour out on you true so that you're disciplined. In fact, Hebrews chapter 12 says that the Father disciplines those who He loves, He disciplines His sons. There's a disciplining aspect to the love of God. It's kind of, it's kind of like when my girls woke me up yesterday with the donuts, which I was, I was totally shocked by the donuts, very surprised. I was like, whoa, I didn't see that coming. And uh, they, they were like, do whatever you want to do, Daddy. You can sleep in, you can play, you can, you can do whatever you want to do. And about 15 minutes, left, I was like, oh, thanks, You know, that's really sweet. And I got up, I was kind of walking around, being a bum, and kind of do whatever i want to do and then sherry and one of my daughters i won't name her they came up to me and they were like now does your eyebrow need to be waxed i'm not even joking and i was like no no my eyebrows fine doesn't need to be waxed "Well, i don't know and sherry asked one of the girls do you think his eyebrow it needs to be it's it's almost not two eyebrows one eyebrow it's becoming a unibrow Next thing I know, I'm sitting in the bathroom on my day. Wax is being put on my eyebrow. All of my children have circled me. Sherry, my children, all of them are circling, looking up, and they're waiting for the wax to dry so they can rip it off. I had to go through pain to look acceptable to them. And it was all out of love. (laughs) See, the Holy Spirit pours out the love of God in a spiritual way. And sometimes we need to be disciplined. Sometimes God, I know it's going to shock you, the love of God is going to try to perfect you. It's going to try to train you. It's going to try to transform your life. Sometimes the love of God is going to put hot wax on a very sensitive area of your life and rip it off so that you're better. Holy Spirit, spiritual connection, God intimately, spiritually working into our life, this pouring out agape love. Finally, well, and and before I go to the finally, you have to ask yourself, where are you at right now? Let me just ask you, where are you at right now what is it that you think God needs to either wax you on and are you available for God to work in your life in that sensitive area and will you let him love you and change you or are you walking in sinful insecurity and it is it is sinful to be insecure in the presence of God. You're like, how is that possible? Because Jesus died to make you right with God. And to be insecure is to say to Jesus, you know, your death really isn't enough. I need to add to your work my own religious works. And I'm feeling insecure because I don't know if I'm good enough. And I don't. You need God's love to make you more secure in what God has given to you through grace and through his son Jesus. But finally, we know what something of what God's love is. It's agape, pouring out agape. It's spiritual. But what does God's love ultimately want to do in our life? Look at verse 6. Romans chapter 5, verse 6. It says, For while we, we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will We were reconciled to God by the death of His Son. Much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by His life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. So, we know that the gospel is here. We know that if we were sharing the the. Christian message with anybody, if they were to say, What is Christianity? We could point them to Romans 5, verse 8. God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, jacked up, messed up, not good, rebellious, enemies of God, Christ died for us. We are justified, that's important. We are just it's a very judicial. Um, Law, courtroom, CSI word, I guess you'd say, or law and order word, justified in the court of God's life and kingdom. In the court of his kingdom, we are justified because of the blood of Jesus. So, We can't justify ourselves. We can't can't come to God in his courtroom and say, Oh yeah, but I've got this really neat thing that I have to give to you, God. This is really cool. Do you like me now? We can't go into the courtroom of God and do that, right? The only thing we can plead in the courtroom of God's justice is the blood of Jesus. And because of the blood of Jesus, we are justified. But why all this legal, legal things? Why all this... Justification language. Why why did Jesus ultimately die for us and die for our sins? And it's so that enemies, this is what the love of God does. The love of God makes enemies friends by paying an infinite price. Ultimately, the goal of God's love is that enemies will become friends. You see that? And you see that in the language. Verse 10, enemies. We were enemies. We are reconciled. Everybody say reconciled. See that that, language, that reconciliation language is very unique. It's, it's not used anywhere else in the book of Romans even, only here. And other religions, they're going to use justification, righteousness, faith. They're going to use all those legal terms that we talked about, but Christianity is completely unique in the terms of reconciliation because that's relationship words. That's about enemies becoming friends. That's about about people coming back together. That's not just a ceasefire in the war and and we're no longer throwing bombs at at, at each other. The reconciliation is we're eating together. We're hanging out together. We are in relationship. The whole purpose of God's love is to make his enemies his friends, to make you and I move from being his enemies to his friends, to come into relationship, to be reconciled, and not only that, but the love of God leads us and is leading us. Look at verse 11. It's leading us to rejoice in God. Everybody say rejoice. Rejoice in God. This is the outcome of the love of God. Not only that, we'll say, oh, it's all good between me and God now. So this is good. This is God. This is good. I'm not going to hell. Is that good? Is that good? No, the love of God leads us to where I really like God. Oh my gosh, I'm awakened to the exquisite, infinite love of God. I'm awakened to the beauty of God. I have tasted and seen because of His love that He is good. I am His friend and He is my my Father and I am His Son. I love God because He is first love me 1st John chapter 4 verse 19 we love because he first loved us god's goal is a relationship the goal of god's love is god The goal of God's love in our heart and all this agape and pouring out and Holy Spirit and discipline and encouragement and, and all of the stuff that God's doing, even when he allows sovereignly suffering and adversity, even when he allows things to happen in my life that I don't want to happen, he's ultimately doing it out of love because he's leading me to the ultimate gift, which is himself. The gift of love of God is God. Missionaries in China many years ago, and the 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 daddy had to leave for an extended period of time for missionary work and had to leave his family in this other part of china and he knew that his youngest daughter his fourth youngest daughter would not understand would be so distraught about him leaving so he gets her a rare commodity in that part of china in that part in that in that in that time period he got her a bright red apple which is kind of like christmas day you know what i mean and he gets her this red apple he puts it in his pocket and when it comes time for him to leave he hugs his wife and gives her a kiss and High-fives his son and hugs his other kid. And he gets down to this little girl, his youngest girl, and he pulls out the red apple. And he said, even though Daddy's leaving, you can have this. And ultimately, I'll come back. She takes, her little chubby hands, you know, takes the little apple and she's holding it. She's looking up at her dad. And he thinks it's fine. He gets on the train. And as it's slowly pulling out of the station, he looks out the window and he watches her and she's bawling and she drops the apple onto the platform and she yells out, Daddy, it's not what you give that I want, it's you. That is the goal of God's love. The goal of God's love, unlike most American forms of Christianity, the goal of God's love in your life is not the shiny, bright red apple. The goal of God's love is God. When love is operating and you're rejoicing in God, ultimately as you're, as you're being changed and transformed, ultimately you're saying to God, it's not what you give that I want, it's you that is when you're walking in some powerful realities for your life. Frederick Nietzsche, he said a lot of things that weren't right, but one thing he did get right, he said, if you can understand the why of your existence, then you can handle anyhow, in any circumstance, you can, if you understand why you exist, and you exist, beloved, you exist for God, to love and be affected and be changed and to look at and to appreciate the beauty of God. Psalm 63, David totally understood that. I think this is why David was called a man after God's own heart. And I think the reason why David was called a man after God's own heart is because he understood this. He understood it wasn't about the red apple. He understood that it was, it was about God as the gift and the giver. And he says in Psalm 63, "O oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you, my soul thirsts for you, my flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory, because your steadfast love is better than life. (laughs) You get that? Your steadfast love is better than life, life, and my lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live in your name, I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food, and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. I will remember you upon my bed. You say, what's the practical application of my life for this sermon? What do you want me to go home and do? Here's what I want you to do. I want you to remember God upon your bed. I want you to meditate upon God in the watches of the night. When, when you're working the late shift at work and, and you're, you're busy at work and you've got all these things going on and, 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 and you're tired at work, meditate upon God in that moment. When you're sleeping at night or trying to sleep, whether you've got insomnia or not, when you're falling asleep, let the last thought in your mind and in your heart be God. I will remember you upon my bed. I will meditate upon you in the watches of the night. For you have been my help. And in the shadow of your wings, I will sing. I will sing for joy because of you. (laughs) And David's running for his life. There are people trying to kill him, man. He is going, he is having the worst month in his life. And he's like, in this worst month. Oh I will think about you. I will I will I will find joy in you. I will love you. Because your love is better than life. That's reconciliation. That's why Jesus died. So we could think about God. On our bed, we could think about God at work, we could think about God in that month when everybody's looking at you and going, I'm glad I'm not going through that. And that you have joy. Let's pray. Father in heaven, you, you are good. You're good when we're tired. You're good when we're rested. You're good every week, every day. You're good all the time. And we thank you for your love. Holy Spirit, pour out the love of God in our hearts. Help us to be available to the love. Help us to walk outside. Help us not to trust in the red apples of our life, but help us to trust in our Father in heaven. Help us, Holy Spirit, to meditate and to have good thoughts about God. When we're going to sleep and when we're going to work, help us in a dry and thirsty land to discover not only intellectually, not only rationally, but spiritually, in a renewing way, help us to see that the steadfast love of God is better than life. Holy Spirit, work in our lives, and we're so grateful, God, that you are a relational God. You're a God of love that the point of you is love and the point of love is God. And I, I just pray that you'll help us in grace to walk in that.